1: Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast, and today we're going to look at uh, the process, well, the uh, act of class-based persecution in the Soviet Union during the Stalin era. Um, the uh, suffering that uh, Kulaks and former people, who were the, uh, uh, those who had been part of the middle classes or the uh, aristocracy, Uh, during the uh, Tsarist era, the suffering that they were subjected to uh, as a result of having uh, bad social or um, illegal social backgrounds or origins. Now, in these previous podcasts, one of the things we've looked at is the idea of the new Soviet man and woman, the idea that um, the individual could be reforged through labour, and that working for the collective working for um, the uh, building of socialism was the, the kind of thing that would change the mind, change the body and kind of change the soul almost and create a sort of idealised forms of human beings and I've previously mentioned one of the, the, kind of the manifestations of this uh, with the uh, sculptures of Vera Mokina, um, uh, the most famous uh, were those that sat upon the top of the Soviet um, pavilion at the Paris Expo of 1937, a proletarian man and kolkhoz woman, which are these uh, chiselled and heroic uh, workers and peasants charging into the future, into the, the bright, optimistic future that Stalinist planning was going to bring. So uh, the, on the other side of things, there were those who were considered to be irredeemable there were um people who were sent to labor camps um or sent to uh complete forced work as uh, members of the, of the criminal classes you know thieves and burglars and robbers and bandits and things like that who were uh, transformable it was seen by the state, but people with bad class origins or the people from the, the wrong kinds of social classes were seen as a, a problem that could never really, really be um, eliminated. Why? Well, it, you have to kind of delve into kind of Bolshevik um, psychology here or the, the, the version of thinking that uh, the Bolsheviks imagined uh, was uh, was true um, or that, that people possessed. The idea that uh, externally an individual could say all the right things, could turn up to work um, and act as a good proletarian, could um, recite Karl Marx or do everything. But internally they, they, they would not have changed. Um, internally they would be keeping uh, putting up, uh, keeping secrets, externally they would be putting up a facade. Stalin often talked about uh, people wearing masks and what is behind the mask. Um, this is partly to do with Stalinist paranoia, and it's partly to do with the belief that um, even though there had been a revolution, even though there was a new social state of affairs, that there was, there would always be those counter-revolutionaries, those people who hung on to the past, those people unwilling to leave uh, to let the past go, um, who would maintain themselves as a constant problem. Partly, this was the the kind of the Marxist-Leninist or the the Leninist reading of Marx, uh, in that uh, any revolution once it had happened would. Have to go through a long period of vigilance, because there would be counter revolutionaries. This is where the idea of the kind of the dictatorship of the proletariat comes from that there would be counter revolutionaries willing to drench the country in blood in order to get back into power. The experience of the civil war pretty much showed the Bolsheviks that this was the case. Um, one needs only to look at any socialist revolution around the world in the twentieth century and look at the uh, the, the the rapidly following counter-revolution that tends to, um, uh, the, 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 that tends to greet it, um, to recognise that there is something to be said for the fact that um, any any socialist revolution is most likely to face stiff opposition uh, and an attempt to undo it as quickly as possible. So the answer, so it was put forward by Marx, was a dictatorship of the proletariat, a period of time in which workers uh, would... Be in charge, and only parties that represented workers would be in charge. Uh, Marx doesn't really kind of delve into the the more blood-soaked aspects of this, and there's nothing in Marx um, that really suggests that um, the uh, practices of Stalinism were what were intended. But it's the consequences that we're chiefly interested in. Um, So. Again, we're looking at Sheila Fitzpatrick today. We're looking at Chapter 5 of Everyday Stalinism. And we're looking at how the um, former people um, were treated. She writes, Soviet society had many outcasts. In the 1920s, they included priests, former priests, members of the pre-revolutionary nobility, former capitalists and uh, um, nep-men, the black marketeers of the NEP era, Kulaks and persons who had been de-Kulakised. Most of these people were formally stigmatised by being deprived of the vote. In the 1930s, the ranks of outcasts were joined by a growing population of administrative exiles and political prisoners. The families of all these people usually shared in their stigmatisation. Wives, children and aged parents were deported along with kulaks. Priests, sons and daughters were denied access to higher education during the great purges, there were special camps for wives of traitors to the motherland. Now, the purges are important in this because the process of this stigmatisation of the removal of rights, of the uh, earmarking uh, names of suspicious people um, from you know the late 20s onwards, this doesn't automatically involve uh, the, the execution of those individuals. But later on, When the Great Terror begins in 1936, what happens is that the um, NKVD are able to look back through the archives. They are able to go to provincial cities and towns and check records of who is considered to be a former person, who is considered to be an enemy class, and they are the first to be executed. One interesting point that Sheila Fitzpatrick raises is that the tendency to stigmatize to look for enemies, to look for traitors um, to be suspicious of um, others than to outcast others was not just a political tendency by the regime but had become deeply rooted within soviet society it had become like part of the operating logic of soviet citizens Um, When there is a revolutionary government more than willing to use extreme violence, uh, when there are uh, food shortages and shortages of accommodation, and the omnipresent narrative that there are dangers and threats all around and that uh, dangerous enemies are always up to no good, wanting to derail the future, and prevent Soviet society from reaching the promised land of socialism, then um, amongst individuals there's going to be this this tendency towards denouncing. And when uh, people are arrested or sent away into exile or sent to camps, then there is uh, also a narrative of this being justified and explainable and, and to some extent desirable. Uh, that if it wasn't for the fact that these were bad people, um, then this might be unfortunate, but these bad people are going to do something bad and they're getting what they deserve. And there was also a spirit of the confessional and the, or the recantation in the Soviet Union. Um, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, communists who strayed into opposition were often required to make public confessions and recantations of their mistakes but confession did not absolve them. Sometimes repentant oppositionists were allowed back into the party, but their status thereafter was precarious, and most were expelled once again after a few years. Similarly, undesirable social origins could not be cast off by statements of loyalty or repudiation of one's class or parents. Priests, to be sure, were sometimes encouraged by local officials to renounce the cloth in a dramatic public gesture, But since they were rarely able to find other employment unless they hid their past, in practice the stigma remained. The um, culture of um, denunciation. There's quite a few um, memoirs of people from enemy classes growing up in the Soviet Union who became deeply angry at their parents because of their parents' um, class origins. Um, and their parents' uh, life before the revolution meant that these uh, young people growing up were not able to join in or participate in Soviet life. There's some really interesting stuff written in by the Whisperers, by Orlando Figes, uh in which he writes about the, the, the emotional pain um, that some young Soviet people went through when they were excluded from institutions like the Young Pioneers or the Comsomol, these um, these organisations aren't really analogous to Western youth organisations. Politic, but particularly, um, the Comsomol was something something greater than our ideas of say Scouting or um, the Cadets in uh, Britain or, or the USA or uh, Western countries. The the Komsomol was a, a youth organization that was also uh, part of the, the kind of the idea of rebuilding or building um, the future, um, participating in the creation of socialism in Russia, and to be excluded from that when all one's peers are kind of fully engaged in it and fully engaged in the active participation of a grand historical project, um, it's easy to see how that would be a very, very painful experience. In addition to that, there were those who were man- who were able to obtain forged documents or who were able to move around sufficiently that they could shake off their class origins. But these were periodically exposed when um, bureaucrats did some digging and found out uh, that all was not as it appeared. So those who had managed to evade their class origins lived in constant panic and fear, long after the Stalin era, that they might be exposed. Now here we kind of delve into the the realm of um, sociology and social psychology, and um, we don't want to kind of go in there too far, because it's stuff that probably there are other people that know an awful lot better than me. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But it's interesting to consider what happens to the makeup, the um, ideas, the discourses within an entire society, when the experience of tens if not hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps even more, are those of shame, stigma, anxiety, fear... Uh, and being excluded from the f- the direction of society, excluded from what society, in the broadest political ideological senses in the Soviet Union during the Stalin era, is supposedly all about. Uh, and perhaps this is um, has had some effect on uh, shaping Russian outlooks and sensibilities in the 20th and into the 21st century. It was necessary to resort to the black market, um, to um, go via illegal methods, um, because social stigmas were so um, so rigid, so difficult to remove, virtually I- impossible, and would be, um, so uh, this sort of secret identities had to be um, created. And this is very, very common. Um, the the penalties for actually being revealed as somebody who had hidden their class origins are extreme, um, long spells in the gulag and perhaps even execution, um, and that would more than likely have happened during the period of the terror. Unmasking enemies is the duty of every loyal party member. Um, and uh, the duty of also of the Komsomol. So young Komsomol members were very vigilant in trying to find uh, the um, hidden class enemies. And this all fed back into the narrative that there were dangerous subversives hidden amongst us who were going to um, cause all manner of chaos within society and derail the process of socialist construction. But it wasn't just for political and ideological reasons that people denounced one another. Because of the mechanism of denunciation, because it had such a a powerful effect in removing people from society, it began to be used in all sorts of different ways. Um, Wives who were fed up of their husbands would denounce them and vice versa people who envied their neighbour's uh, apartment would denounce them to see if they could get their hands on it from a, a corrupt housing official Um people who had workplace disagreements or resented um, a colleague could denounce them and it didn't take any production of proof or evidence on the part of a, um, a denouncer only the actual denunciation itself. The first exclusion uh, from society of former people happened in 1918, when the constitution of the Russian Republic was drawn up. Um, It excluded from um, elections to the Soviets persons using hired labour with the aim of extracting profits, so anyone who is a, for want of a better word, capitalist, Um, This covers uh, kulaks as well as urban entrepreneurs and artisans, persons living off unearned income, so anybody with private wealth or capital, dividends from capital, profits from enterprises, rent from property and so forth. It excluded private traders and middlemen, monks and priests of all denominations, former employees and agents of the Tsarist police, secret police and special corps of gendarmes. Members of the former imperial family, the House of Romanov. So, anyone who really didn't um, earn their living through some kind of labour was excluded. Um, the um, disenfranchised individuals formed the uh, kind of like the nucleus of a, a bigger group. Um, of people who, uh, of enemy classes and people from particular social backgrounds who were added to later on throughout the 20s and 30s. And they were known collectively as uh, alien elements or social aliens. And the wider group uh, included uh, former nobles, the former bourgeoisie, former czarist bureaucrats, um, and gee, anybody who had the word former. Um, by their name, were came under the kind of the umbrella of former people. There's a great book by Douglas Smith, Former People, which charts the kind of the horrific fate of uh, Russia's aristocracy through the revolution um, and the virtual extinction um, of Russia's upper classes by the time um, of the the late Stalin era. Now even if there was a a list drawn up by central government of disenfranchised disenfranchised classes, I beg your pardon, the overall reach of those who were disenfranchised um, grew wider um, as local Soviets uh, also drew up lists of uh, local uh, individuals and social groups who were to be disenfranchised. Um, And eventually, the judgment came down to those who simply looked like class enemies. So uh, it becomes incredibly flexible as to who is disenfranchised uh, and why. Now, initially, this is a a significant problem in the lives of Soviet citizens, which is not quite life-threatening. However, during the period of the Great Terror, it is. Because, as, as I mentioned earlier, the people who, say, in the 1920s or early 1930s had been designated as a class enemy, they would have a, a very difficult time finding work, they would find uh, be disenfranchised from any uh, Soviet elections, uh, and they would find it very difficult to find housing. But they're on a list, and the list is dangerous. Um, the list is the first thing that the three-man troikas will go through um, when deciding on uh, executions during the Great Terror. And the the list is also kind of viral, in that when people on the list are arrested and interrogated, the first thing that is asked is, who else do you know, who else is in your your network? Um, the assumption being that class enemies and traitors were all conspiring together against the state. So to this end, if anybody was denounced or even accused of being a class enemy, there was a scrabble to disavow them to um, be as far away from them as possible and to imply that one had never been friends with them in the first place. During the 1920s, um, in a kind of rather brutal attempt to um, even society out, uh, to limit the um, life chances of the former bourgeoisie and to promote the life chances of um, the the working classes, universities and schools, uh, housing authorities, rationing boards were able to practice social selection. Um, so, if you're working class, you're more likely to get into university, into a college, into a school. If you're working class, you're more likely to get somewhere to live. Uh, if you're working class, you're more likely to get something to eat. Um, and if you're working class, if you're um, uh, in part of the bourgeoisie, not only would all these things not be tilted in your favour, but also you'd be subjected to higher taxes. Um, the courts were supposed to follow the principles of class justice by punishing social aliens harshly and showing leniency to proletarians. Social aliens were barred from joining the Communist Party obviously and the Comsomol, and often from employment in government offices. Um, This uh, meant that disenfranchised um, social aliens were deprived not only of the right to vote but also um, of a host of other opportunities uh, and rights uh, and uh, the possibility of advancing themselves uh, in any way. Uh, the suspicion on the part of the party is that these canny bourgeois types would take any opportunity handed to them and use it simply to start accumulating capital, to be, to start uh, having wealth, uh, storing it, investing it and quickly becoming part of the, the, uh, the newly um, emergent capitalist system. The party, um, for its thinkers, its intellectuals, um, saw class as a very complicated uh, set of ideas that couldn't simply reduce to origins. Um, the party as a whole uh, believed that uh, a uh, genealogy of class was um, logical and fitting and made sense, and that being able to uh, look at somebody's family history, and suggest if father had been um, a noble or a kulak before the revolution, that you too would share that stigma, because you will obviously have inherited the values of your parents, uh, even irrespective of what your political convictions are now. Um, And this would be uh, irrespective of whatever you kind of had to say about the revolution, no matter how much you denounced it. So we'll continue with a a bit more of that um, later in the week. But one of the key takeaway points here, I suppose is that for um, Stalin, um, class warfare and terror was kind of a numbers game. Stalin was pretty open about the idea that uh, if uh, a hundred innocent individuals were caught, uh, imprisoned or executed, uh, and one guilty man um, was caught with them, then that had been a success, and that it was better to do that and allow the guilty man to get away. Uh, The guilty individual being obviously uh, an individual who did not uh, agree with the the verdict of uh, October 1917. And it's that kind of logic that fuels not just the era of class persecution in the 20s and 30s, but also the period of the Great Terror. Anyway, thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye.